Good morning, church. Good morning. It's exciting. It's an exciting time of year. What better time to stop and remember remember this. The advent of hope, the advent of love, joy, and peace. Would you bow with me this morning? Let's pray before we start this morning. Our Father in heaven, you are wondrous beyond comprehension. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-just, all-loving, and all so many other things. We have words to describe you, yet they fall short. Our finite minds cannot comprehend the width and the height and the depth of a word like all when used to describe you. Father, this morning we have come because we know that our lives are not our own. Any wall that we build for our own kingdom will fall. Only a wall built by our hands with your help for your kingdom will stand. May this praise that we have offered you this morning be part of that work. And may the words that I say this morning be part of that work as well. Like the manna that your people relied upon in the wilderness and that you provided to them, give us what we need for today and nothing more so that we may come to you tomorrow dependent on you giving us more. May we be satisfied with the sweetness of your word this morning. Father, we've come together this morning as a sinful people. Our sin is vile and it has damaged our relationship with you and with others. Show us your grace and give us the assurance of forgiveness and salvation. And in the same measure that you have forgiven us, help us to forgive others. By the power of your spirit, as we go about the week before us, keep us from temptation and deliver us from the sin that threatens to follow. It is your kingdom that we are here for. It is your power that builds it. And it is your glory that we desire to see in swift current and to the ends of the earth, now and forever. Amen. The sermon this morning is going to be admittedly very similar to the one that I preached a few weeks ago. And the reason for that is simple. In Colossians chapter 3, where we were together a few weeks ago, we spent a lot of time looking at the love that we are told to put on in place of the things that we have put to death. And today, we're looking at the final theme of Advent, of love. For those of you who may not remember, Advent means the coming of someone or something important. Now, I don't think I'm that important, but just to give you an idea of what that means, you could say that my coming up the stairs and standing on the stage was the advent of me coming onto the stage. And this advent that we celebrate every year was the advent of the most important person, the most important thing that has ever come onto the stage of the earth. You see, when Jesus was born, when he came into the world at his advent, it was not just the advent of God in flesh. It was the advent of hope. It was the advent of joy. It was the advent of peace. And it was the advent of love. Love is a, a big deal in the scriptures. I don't know if you've noticed this as you're reading along in the scriptures, but it comes up a lot. In fact, over 600 times the word love in its various forms in Hebrew and in Greek show up in our Bibles. And this morning, we're going to look at why love is such a big deal. Why was the advent of Christ also the advent of love? And what is this love? And what ought we do about it? Why was the advent of Christ also the advent of love? What is this love that came with Jesus? And what ought we do about it? See, when asking questions like this, we often want a definitive answer. 
we ask questions like it, like what is faith and what is God's will and what is faithfulness and in this case, what is love? And what we often fail to realize is that the scriptures are full of definitive statements. When we have a question like this, we should ask, does the scriptures tell us definitively the answer to this question? Because if there is a definitive answer, then we have a sufficient base to start with and build off of. For example, okay, apart from love, we often wonder what God's will is for our lives. And so we pray, which is a good place to start, or we look for Bible stories that have similar situations to our own, or maybe some of us have closed our eyes, flipped our Bibles, and pointed, praying that God will reveal his will to us in that way. This verse is telling me that I should maybe bake a loaf of bread, okay? But I won't suggest you do that. It's not a good, good, it's not a good strategy for finding out God's will. But the point is, is that there are definitive statements when it comes to God's will. For example, Jesus himself says in John 6, he says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And again, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. There's a definitive answer to what God's will is for Jesus and even what God wants for us. But that doesn't give us an answer to what we are supposed to do. Well, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, Paul gives us a very definitive and clear picture of what God's will is for us. He says, for this is the will of God, that you go to this job or that job or that you buy this house or that house. No, it's very simple. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, I could spend the next 15 minutes talking about that, but this is just an example. We're talking about love this morning. But my point is that that there are definitive answers to questions like this in Scripture. And there is a definitive answer to this question that we are asking this morning. What is this love that God brought into the world through Jesus? And to answer this, we're going to go to one of the books of John. In fact, I don't know if Dwayne knew what passage I was focusing on this morning, but he read it this morning after he lit the candles. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 4. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning. We're not going to have the scripture up on the screen. And so if you don't have a book this morning, I don't know if any pastors ever said this in this church, but pull out your phones. If you have a Bible app, open that. If you don't have a Bible app, use some of your precious data and download one because it's not going to be up there. You're going to have to follow along in front of you this morning. If you have a Bible, 1 John is close to the back of your Bibles. If you go right back to Revelation, you work your way backwards, you'll get there quite quickly. As you're doing that, just as a quick aside, I've been spending a lot of time in the books that John wrote in the last few months. And I have to say, if you want to see connections between books of the Bible, read John's books back to back. The word that I've been using with the youth as we've been talking about uh, how to study our Bibles and how to look for things and truth in the scriptures, the word I've been using is synthesis, which means that all of God's word fits together. It all fits together like a puzzle to create a beautiful picture. So if you read John's books, his gospel, his three letters, and even the book of Revelation, you will begin to see a lot of synthesis, okay? a lot of connections. And anyways, I digress. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 4, John says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world 
so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So what does John tell us here about this love that Jesus brought? This passage answers the first question that we asked this morning. Why is the advent of Jesus also the advent of love? Verse 7 says, let us love one another for love is from God. John tells us that love is from God. Therefore, this Messiah, this Jesus who came into the world also had the potential to bring love into the world with him. If he is God, if Jesus is God, which he is, this verse tells us that if God were to come into the world and love comes from him, then the potential for it to come into the world has also come with the one who is the source of it. Let me say that again. If Jesus is God, which he is, and this verse says that love is from God, that it is something that comes from him, then with the coming of God into the world in the form of Jesus, also comes the potential for the love that comes from God to come from Jesus. But what else does John tell us here about this love? At the end of verse 8, okay, verse 8 says, anyone who does not love God does not know God. John goes even further than to say that love comes from God. He states definitively at the end of verse 8, God is love. What does that mean? That means that not only the giver of love entered into the world at Jesus' birth, but love itself. Love himself. If, if God is love, okay, and Jesus is God, then that means that Jesus is also love. John goes on in verse 9 to say almost verbatim, okay, exactly the same thing that he says in the verse that we all know. And again, Dwayne read it this morning, John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here, though, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, or it's not Paul, we're in John, what am I saying? John says this, in this is the love of God that was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you see how similar those are? John 3 says, for God so loved the world, 1 John 4, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. John 3, he gave his one and only son. 1 John 4, that God sent his only son into the world. John 3, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 4, so that we might live through him. This is something that was so important to John as he was writing his gospel that he put it not only in his gospel but then as he's writing his letter, 1 John 4, he has to say the same thing because this is so important that God so loved the world that he sent his son so that we might live through him. But apart from those connections, there's something else here that is absolutely amazing. Think about this for a second. Love is not only from God, but God is 
love. Verse 9 says that in this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son. In this, this being that God sent his son. In this fact of Jesus coming, the love of God was made manifest. It was put in human form. In this, the love of God was shown. In this, the love of God was given. In this, the love of God was made available. How? By love himself coming to live among us. See, when John says the love of God, he is talking about that something that God gives that we spoke about moments ago, but he is also talking about God himself. God is love and love comes from him because he is love and he is therefore the source of it. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And as I said moments ago, if Jesus is God and he, Jesus is 100% God and God is love, then Jesus is the embodiment of love. And at his advent, Jesus not only brought God into the world, but love incarnate, love in the flesh. Verse 10 of 1 John 4 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God. No. It has absolutely nothing to do with us. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, propitiation. It simply means the saving sacrifice in our place. Okay? Jesus' death on the cross satisfied the wrath of God for us. He is our propitiation. God sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, we have never loved God of our own will. There is nothing within us that makes us desire him, that makes us want him, that seeks after him. Romans 3 verse 11 is clear on this. This is another definitive statement. He said, Paul says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. You see, I'm going to do what Darren's done for the last three weeks. We're going to go right back to the beginning. Okay, we go all the way back to the beginning. Go to Adam and Eve in the garden. They only loved each other and God's creation because God loved them. God's love made them perfect. It was because he was present himself. Because he lived with them in the garden. Love was present but as soon as they turned on him, as soon as they let go of the source of love, the embodiment of love itself, love himself as he walked in the garden with them, as soon as they turned on him, let go of the source, their love was gone. Brothers and sisters, we do not love God on our own. On our own, as Romans 3 continues, Paul says, we have all turned aside and together we have become worthless. But praise be to God because love does not depend on us. Love has come into the world. 1 John 4.10 said, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He has done the work. He has brought the love. He has put it on the table for us to take. And he has called us to have it. But why is the advent of love so important? If the only reason 
that Adam and Eve had love and the only reason that the world was perfect as it was was because of the presence of love himself, if the only reason that Adam and Eve had hope, had love, had joy, had peace was because of the presence of God himself, then the advent of love in Jesus 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem caused something to happen that had not happened for more than 4,000 years. For 4,000 years, the earth was without the steady presence of love because God was not on the earth as he was in Eden. He didn't leave us to, his, to our own devices. He was still there. He was still guiding and leading men, but his love was not put on display for all to see. It came upon and lived within few people. Men like Enoch and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, Moses and Joshua, Samson, David, Josiah, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezra, and Zerubbabel, along with women like Miriam and Deborah, Naomi, Ruth, and Hannah, who is the mother of Samuel. And among these people whose names we know, there were others, to be sure. For example, God tells Elijah that there were 7,000 men in Israel who had not bowed down to idols, who had not bowed their knees to Baal. Those were all men and women who had love for God. Men who would not give their love to another. But what is it that put God's love in these people? How could God put love in them? How could God put himself in people stained with sin? God could not be in the presence of sin. That's why he had to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden because they could not remain in his presence because he would destroy them. How is it possible that Abraham and Enoch and Noah were not ripped to pieces by the presence of God within them? Well, you might say the blood of sheep and and goats. That's what God told the Israelites to do to cover their sins. And you'd be right to some degree, but what does that do for Enoch? What about Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob. They lived before the sacrificial law. God had not told anyone yet that you could sacrifice a lamb to cover your sins and to make yourself right with God. That you could, there was no altar, there was no place, there was no tabernacle, there was no dwelling place of God with man. So how is it possible for Enoch and Noah and Abraham and all those that came before the sacrificial system to have been made right with God. The author of the book of Romans and Galatians and the author of James point back to Abraham to give us an answer. They point back to Genesis 15, verse 6, which tells us that Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. See, for God to be among men, for God to live among men, they must be righteous, meaning without sin. There was a lot of sin. There's a lot of sin now. There was a lot of sin then. But this tells us that Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. God made him right. It was Abraham's belief that made him right with God. It was his belief that made it possible for God to put his love in him, to love God and to love others. It was Abraham's belief, not the sacrifice of animals that made it possible for love to live in him. But how? How is that possible? Because love had not yet come. Love's advent was thousands of years away. The answer is in that verse. Their belief was in the promise. 
Their belief was in the same promise that you and I have seen fulfilled. The same promise that we have seen fulfilled on Christmas and the same promise that we saw fulfilled on Easter. Their belief was in the promise of the advent of love himself, the Son of God, Jesus Christ the Messiah, our Lord and Savior. Now you might be saying, how is that possible? Well, let me explain. Enoch and Noah believed in the promise from God given to Eve, that from her offspring would come one to crush the head of the serpent. They trusted that God was going to save them, that God's power was greater than sin. Abraham, Isaac, and Noah believed in God's promise to Eve and that also from their offspring, all the nations would be blessed. The promise given to Abraham. Moses, through to Hannah, believed in the promise that one day the true Passover lamb would be given for all sin. David and the righteous kings of Judah believed in all those promises and in the promise that a king would someday come to sit on David's throne forever. And the prophets and those that followed them, on top of all those promises, believed in the one that would come to rescue them from sin. Emmanuel, God with us. Their belief was in Jesus. Even though they did not fully understand what God was promising, they did not know that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, that he was going to die on a Roman cross. Enoch and Abraham would have thought, looked at you and said, what is Rome? What is a cross? But their, promise, their belief was in a promise that God was going to save them somehow, some way. And those that sacrificed the animals, they knew that the blood of bull and goats did not satisfy, but God was going to save them. God was going to provide the Passover lamb. Because of what Jesus was coming to do, God could enter hearts and give them love. And now, because Jesus has come, because love has entered the world, love has been put on full display for all to see, how much more will the love of God affect us and affect our world? And so, this brings me to the so what. What then must we do with this love that has come? This love that has been put before us. And this brings me back to my sermon a few weeks ago in Colossians. Jesus tells us in his ministry that there are two commandments that are greater than the rest. And they are to love God and to love your neighbor. And what does John tell us here in 1 John 4 about what we must do with this love that is before us? Let's go right back up to the top. In verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. John tells us that if you do not love, you do not know God. If you do not love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, you do not know God. And if you do not love your neighbor as yourself, you do not no God. If we skip down to verse 11 of 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. Abide is a fancy word to say, mean that he lives in us. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then he goes on, he says, by this we know. Did you catch that? By this we know. Here comes a definitive fact from the word of God. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. How can we know that he abides in us and that we abide in him? John says, because he has given us his spirit. Now you might be thinking back to a few weeks ago when I was preaching on Colossians and you might be thinking to yourself, is this guy even capable of preaching on anything else than love and that it comes from the Spirit and that we are incapable of doing this on our own? Well, you'd have to keep coming back in order to find out, but I think that this is nothing less than the providence and sovereignty of God that here I am, however many weeks later, given the topic of love, telling you the same things about the glories of the gospel that I told you only a few weeks ago. Ephesians 2.8, we looked at then, tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The faith is a gift. The love is a gift. Remember, John says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loves us. He loved us by sending his son, sending love himself to die on a cross so that we could have that love. God paid the price for all sin, for all time, so that if we believe in him, we will have life. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, God walks with us. His spirit walks with us. And not just with us, walks in us. Do you know what that means? That means that we are returning to Eden. And in many ways, we have already returned to Eden. In Revelation 21, verse 5, Jesus says this from the throne. He says, Behold, I am making all things new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. It is dead. And the new will come? Is that what Paul says? That's not what Paul says. He says the old has passed away, the new has come. It is here. When we remember the birth of Jesus, we're remembering the advent of love, the advent of joy, of peace, and of hope because the new has come. Brothers and sisters, the advent of love is so important because the advent of love is the advent of hope. It is the advent of peace. It is the advent of joy. All of these things that we have spoken about for the last three weeks that you can see up there on the screen, they cannot come on their own. You cannot have one, two, or three of them without the other one, two, or three. With the advent of love, came the advent of God. With the advent of love became the advent of the return to Eden. We have been made alive with Christ. We have been made a new creation. And how can we know? If we have love, then the source of love is within us. If you have love for your God far and above anything else in this world and you love and care for all the other image bearers of God upon this rock that God crafted with his word, then the spirit of God lives in you. You have been saved by grace through faith. 
through belief, just like Enoch and Abraham and David and Elijah before us. You have the gift of God unto salvation. He has given you faith. And though those, all those people in the Old Testament times, their belief looked very different than our own, they were saved by the death of Jesus on the cross. But now you might say, David, I, I do feel like I love God most days. And I try to love him with all my heart and all my soul, all my strength, and some days I don't. And when it comes to loving people, oh, that one's hard. You might feel like you don't have that much love for some people that you work with, maybe some people within this room. And I can tell you this, if they are sinners, which every single one of us is, and every single person out there that you don't have very much love for is a sinner as well, God doesn't like them very much either. But when you are called out for your distaste, or dare I say, even your hate for someone, is your reaction the same reaction that God has for those people? Because don't get me wrong, Psalms 5.5 says very clear that God hates all evildoers. And I don't know if you realize this this morning, but when you walked in this room this morning, were you reminded that you're an evildoer? That you're a sinner? Because I have to be reminded of that. Because if I don't remember that, when I look at other evildoers in our world... I look down upon them because I'm righteous. I am only righteous because of God. Is our response the same response that God has for them? God hates all evildoers and yet love came to die for them. You see, we ought to hate evil. And there are evil people that deserve hate. But do we extend love to them as well? You think of someone in this church or someone at work or someone you deal with on a regular basis or dare I even suggest, think of all of our favorite politician. Now I know everybody in this room is thinking of the same person, Think about members of a group like Hamas that we prayed for this morning. Think of Israel even. No matter which side you think is right in that conflict, whether they know Jesus or not, they are sinners. And there is real merit there for hate. But do we recognize, as I've said already, that apart from the gift of faith that God has given us, we would be no better off than them? And so I ask, when was the last time we prayed for our prime minister, for his salvation, for the salvation of all of those in Ottawa and all of those in parliaments around the world? When was the last time that we prayed for the sanctification of our brother or our sister in church? And when was the last time that we asked the Spirit of God to put this love in us? I wasn't fully planning on doing this, but why don't we bow our heads right now and let's pray. Let's pray for those people. Father, you are holy and righteous and just. And we know that you hate evil and you hate sin. And yet that is why you sent love into the world. Because you could not watch your creation go to destruction. But you came to redeem it. So Lord, today we lift up those people in our city 
those people in our province, in our country, and in our world who do not know you. We think specifically of our prime minister who so desperately needs hope. We think of the Palestinians, we think of members of Hamas and members of the Israeli military who so many of do not know you and hate each other because of it. May you bring love to them. May love change their hearts so that they may love you far and above all else, that they may love their neighbors as themselves. We pray for ourselves as well, Lord, that you would sanctify us, for that is your will. Your will is that we would be sanctified, that we become more and more like you. And it is only because of your love that has come into the world, that has died on the cross to cleanse us, to make us right before you, that we have that love. And we ask that you would use us and use your people to take it to others. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I preached from Colossians a few weeks ago, I spoke about anger and hatred and malice that we were told to put off, that we're told to put to death. And this Advent that we remember every year is so that we can set that aside and put on love. The same way that our God came and put love on, put on flesh, brought love into the world to save us. We remember this love every year, love that points out what is true, love that corrects, love that hates what is evil, love that preaches the gospel, love that prays for our oppressors, and love that prays for our evil neighbor, our evil, our evil neighbors, love that shows them grace and kindness when all they have for us is wickedness and sin. Brothers and sisters, without the advent of this love, of this man, Jesus, God in flesh, no woman, no man, no child had any hope of love in the Old Testament and from this advent until now, neither do we have hope. And so if you have this love this morning, if you have the love of God, God himself within you this morning, love himself within you this morning, show it. Show it to your family this Christmas. Show it to your friends. When you go back to work in a few days, show it to your coworkers. Show it to this evil world that so desperately needs love. And if you're sitting here this morning and you do not have this love in you and you are longing for it, that's the spirit of God and he is calling you to faith. He is calling you to his love. He's calling you to the source of love, to the embodiment of it. The gift is sitting at the door like an Amazon package. It's sitting under, it's like a, gift that's sitting under your tree at home right now, waiting for you to open it tomorrow. When you open your gifts tomorrow, think of the greatest gift that God has given us. He has given us love. He has given us joy. He has given us peace. He has given us hope. He has put it in us. And if you have this love this morning, when you open those gifts tomorrow morning, think of this gift that you have opened and how precious it is to you. And if you do not have this love this morning, like the gifts under your tree at home waiting to be opened, take it out and with the power of the Spirit inside of you, open it. That's all that's left to do. The Spirit is calling you to faith. 
by the power of the Spirit inside of you because of the advent of love itself in the form of Jesus on Christmas. Begin loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself so that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And so that your joy, your love, your peace, and your hope may be complete. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to close out the service singing that new song that we played earlier in the service again. If I can get the the tech team to put the the first verse up on the, the screen there. The song says, Come and stand amazed, you people. See how God is reconciled. See how he has reconciled us. See how he has saved us. See his plans of love. His plans of love accomplished. And see his gift, this newborn child. Do you rise with us and sing together? Stand amazed, you people. See how God is reconciled. See His plans of love accomplished. See His gift, this newborn child. See the mighty, weak, and tender. See the world who now is new. See the sovereign without splendor. See the fullest destiny. give you boldness and may his death be life for you. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior this week and Christmas. And we look forward to seeing you back here at five o'clock this afternoon or evening. It's kind of in the middle. Take your pick. To worship our Lord some more and to remember more the love, the joy, the peace, and the hope that came with his advent. Go in peace.